If you have your copy of God's Word, please turn to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to be looking at a good deal of the chapter, but focusing on verses 28 to 30. Wow, this is a great-looking group of people. It is good to see you. I'm usually in the second service, but this is, this is really cool. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Jesus is speaking, and he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus, the perfect storyteller, the perfect preacher, gave us a perfect three-point sermon here. He even used a preaching technique that, that pastors and public speakers use to this day. He opened by telling us what he was going to say, and then he told us, and then he told us what he told us. Um, and the result is an incredible short sermon that's so short, so profound, so beautiful that, that we can easily miss it completely if we're not careful. The message is simple. If you want real, true rest... And who doesn't? Um, you must come to Jesus. Now we need to beware here because there's a great danger when we encounter a passage that tells us to follow God or come to God or believe in God or trust in God. And the easiest thing to do is say, I've done that, been there, done that. That's taken care of. Wake me up when you're done, Tim. Um, I know that I know that I know that I'm saved. Praise the Lord. But there's so much more to salvation than a trip to heaven someday. Okay, salvation needs to be a present reality every day we live or we're going to miss out on the blessings that God has today for us. And we too will become weary and burdened and weighed down and heavy laden and tired and worn out. And that's at least part of what Jesus was talking about when he preached this sermon. Remember, by this time in Jesus' ministry, he is being followed not only by his disciples, his closest followers, but almost everywhere he goes by a great crowd of people, um, people from all walks of life. And some of those people were true disciples, true followers, and others were curious. What's all the fuss about? Where are all these people coming from? They just wondered what was going on, and others had heard that Jesus was a great miracle worker, and they wanted healing, or they wanted free food, or they wanted some type of physical blessing, And 2,000 years later, not much has changed. Many of us in this room would say we're true followers of Christ. Praise the Lord. But maybe you're not so sure. Maybe you're curious. What's all the fuss about? Some of you may be here today because somebody made you come. Some of you may be here because you're tired. You need some encouragement. You want... God to pump you up. You just had a rough week and you know that next week's going to be worse. And God, just give me some encouragement so I can face the week that's ahead. So no matter why you're here, no matter who you are, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, you have a divine appointment with God today. And to every single one of us in this room, Jesus' invitation is simple. Come to me and I'll give you rest. When I first started working with teenagers more than 30 years ago, The statement I heard more than any other was this. I want to know what God's will is for my life. And 30 years later, the statement I hear more than any other is this. I'm so tired. 
I'm so tired, I'm so worn out, I'm so burned out. And my answer to both of those statements is the same, come to Jesus. So if you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ as your only hope for salvation, or if you've been traveling that road that leads to heaven for 50 years, Jesus says, come to me. Before we dive into this text, these three verses, we have to understand the context in which Jesus was speaking. Remember, Matthew wrote this gospel primarily to a Jewish audience. He wanted to prove to them that Jesus was the Messiah. So he traces Jesus' lineage all the way back through David, through King David, to Abraham. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the rightful heir to the throne of David. And so that's his primary mission. But remember, by Matthew 11, Jesus has been traveling around with his disciples for almost a year. Okay? And this crowd is around him, and he's been preaching a simple message. Repent. Repent. Unfortunately, that message offends people. 2,000 years later, it offends people. But the people who were offended were primarily the Jewish people. Hey, wait a minute. We're God's chosen people. What are you talking about? We don't need to repent. And Jesus' message was, repent. And people were getting mad. The crowd was still growing, but there were people all over the place. People who loved him, people who hated him, people who didn't care, people who were just curious. And so Jesus' sermons had, and his parables had a whole bunch of different applications for the different audiences that surrounded him. At the beginning of Matthew chapter 11, Jesus addressed the followers of John the Baptist, and he talked about John the Baptist. And then he spoke to the crowd about John the Baptist and spoke to the people who had rejected his message and John the Baptist's message of repentance. And then he followed with a pronouncement of judgment against the people in the cities where he had worked most of his miracles. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. And then in verse 25, Jesus broke out in a spontaneous public prayer to God, thanking his Father in heaven. Let's take a look at those verses. Matthew 11, starting with verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus gave us one of the clearest statements of his deity. He says, God is my Father. And he added, no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. And then he says, anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And here we see the beautiful balance between God's calling, his predestination that Pastor John talked about a couple weeks ago, and that responsibility of us, his, the listeners, to either accept or reject the truth that Jesus is God. And to the ones who did accept him, Jesus described them as children. Don't be offended. They're not intellectually children. They're volitionally children. True believers recognize their dependence on God for salvation, like a child recognizes his dependence on a parent for safety. On the other hand, the people who were wise, the people who were understanding, the people who were woke from a worldly point of view saw themselves as being too smart for God. They didn't need God. They didn't come to Christ for salvation. And the same is true today, isn't it? 
The people God has chosen prove they were chosen by accepting Jesus' message and turning to God in repentant faith. And those who were not chosen prove that they were not chosen because they reject Jesus. And that brings us to the text today. And Jesus issues one of the greatest invitations of his entire ministry. Come to me, all you who, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Not only do we get the entire sermon in one introductory sentence, but we're presented with the problem. Okay, We have a problem. Every single one of us faces it. We're tired. We get worn out, not only physically, but mentally and spiritually. I got a recorded phone call from Kaiser Permanente this week. And they said the company had new options designed to make my emotional well-being a priority. Surprise, surprise, not one of those options included coming to Jesus. Shouldn't surprise us, but even as Christians, we can suffer from stress, right? We can suffer from burnout. We can suffer from anxiety. Anxiety is the most common mental disorder in the United States, and the statistics are almost identical for Christians as they are for those outside the church. Someone once asked uh, D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, an interesting question. He said, why do you always pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit? If, we, if, if we're given the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation, why are you always pray, praying to be filled by the Holy Spirit? And D.L. Moody said, because I leak. <laughs> Anybody feel leaky today? Anybody feel leaky? We all leak. Don't we? We need to be filled up. We need to be refreshed. We're tired. We're weary, not only from pressures inside us, but we're weighed down by pressures from outside us. Now, Jesus was addressing a specific problem, and we certainly don't want to take this verse out of its context. Jesus primarily was speaking to a group of Jews who were trying to work their way to heaven. But again, there's application for everyone in his words. The religious leaders of Jesus' day had loaded the common people down with the weight of the law, right? You had the Ten Commandments, and then you had the Torah around the Ten Commandments, 613 laws that protected people so they didn't break the Ten Commandments. And then on top of that, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, had built traditions around the laws, They weren't initially bad. They wanted to make sure they didn't break the laws. They didn't want to get carried away to Babylon again, so we had to make sure we keep the covenant. But they built these hedges around the hedges around the hedges, and then pretty soon the traditions took over, and the people were weighed down by this burden of the law. Those who generally tried to please God were told everything, from how to conduct themselves in worship to how they should wear God's laws on their wrists and on their foreheads. And by the time that this was all written down, all these traditions were written down in the Talmud in the 6th century, there were 24 chapters of laws pertaining to what you could not do and what you could do on the Sabbath. And the people were weighed down. Now, praise the Lord, we know that salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But how often do we still try to live out the Christian life on our own? Okay, we may never say this out loud, But how often do we think to ourselves, I'm not going to bother God with this sin. I'll I'll work this out on myself. I can handle this myself. Or I don't need to be accountable to another Christian. I don't want to tell anyone else my problems. Besides, they've got their own problems. 
I'll just handle this myself. And it sounds good, doesn't it? But what's the result? We have the same problem. We labor, we're heavy laden, we're weighed down, we're tired, and our spiritual fatigue spills over into every aspect of our lives. We're stressed out, we feel like we're running on empty, and we fail spiritually. And Jesus called to all who are weary. And his message to us 2,000 years later is the same. Come to me. See, the solution to the problem is to come. And so we needed to talk about what we mean by come. When it says come to me, we need to understand what the Bible means by that. Just like it, we need to understand what the Bible means when it says believe. Okay? To come is to believe to the point of submitting to Jesus' lordship. So the question is, have you come to this point in your life where you agree with Scripture that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life? Have you admitted that you're a sinner, that Jesus is your only hope of salvation? Have you repented of your sin? Have you asked Jesus to come into your life, forgive your sins, and make you a new person? That's all encompassed in come to Jesus. Do you believe in Jesus? Not certain facts about Jesus, but do you, have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus? Is Jesus your Lord? See, that means from now on you're going to do it his way. What will happen when we do that? What will happen when we truly come to Jesus? He will give us rest. We're going to talk more about this idea of biblical real rest in verses 29 and 30. But Jesus told this crowd in his summary statement, I will give you rest. This isn't just lying on a cloud and playing a harp someday, okay? Pastor John talked about this a few weeks ago, didn't he? What are we going to do in heaven? We don't get to do nothing, Okay, in heaven, we don't just sit around, but for the first time ever, we're going to be free, truly free from everything that disturbs us, everything that weighs us down, everything that burdens us, everything that worries us. I can't wait. But guess what? Jesus promised to give us a taste of that real rest here on earth. In John 6.35, Jesus called himself the bread of life. He's the only true satisfier. He's the only real refresher. He's the only one who can truly fill you up. He's the only one who can give you rest. Now, rest was a common theme in Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. Listen to the words of Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I sworn my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in you any evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Most of the Israelites, God's own chosen people never experienced the true rest that God had intended for his children. Why? Because they didn't come. They didn't repent. They never truly came to God. And the question is, what about you? Have you truly come to God? I trust that many of you know that you know that you know that you know that God has saved you. Praise the Lord. But in a room this size, okay, it's possible some of you have never taken that step of faith. So how do you do that? How do you come to Jesus? 
Okay, we can spend the rest of the day dissecting that, or we can simplify it so everyone can understand. Okay, so here it is. Salvation's at your fingertips. Everybody hold up your hand. Thumbs up. God loves you. John 10.10, Jesus said, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. If you don't hear anything else I say, hear this, God loves you. Yay! So we all get to have a no, we don't. Get to the point. This is your point. Pointer finger. There's a point, right? What's the point? Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's a problem. God loves me, yes, but I've got a problem. It's called sin and it keeps me from God. God is love, but he's also justice and he can't let me into heaven. He can't just let my sin slide. He couldn't be God anymore. But there's a central truth. Okay, your middle finger. The central truth of the Bible is what? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yay! So we all get to go to heaven. No, wait. You have to make a commitment. This is your ring finger. Okay? You have to make a commitment. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth... Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You have to make a commitment. You don't just get to come to church and you're a Christian. You have to commit to Christ. God, as best I know how, come into my life, forgive my sins, and make me a new person. And that requires faith. You only need a little bit. It's your little finger. You only need a little bit of faith. I had someone say to me one time, oh, I just wish I had more faith. God said, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can tell mountains to move. See, it's not the size of our faith, it's who our faith is in. Is your faith in Christ. It's by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. That's a high five right there. That is a high five. That's how you come to Christ. And if you've done that, praise the Lord, now go tell somebody. And don't say, oh, I can't witness, I don't know how. Sure you do, just hold up your hand. Okay? Tell somebody. But you're probably saying, Tim, I've done that. I know that I know that I know that I know that I'm going to heaven and I'm so tired. What do I do? Read verse 29. (laughs) Let's keep reading. Verse 29, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest from your souls. This is what sets Christianity different. This is the power. Okay, there's a problem, and Jesus gives us the solution, but he also gives us power to do what God wants us to do if we submit. See, this is a call to submission. This is a call to carrying a yoke, and we have a picture of, of the yoke today, okay? The yoke was a wooden apparatus that fit around the neck and shoulders of a plowing animal, okay? Thank you. That's a great picture of a yoke, okay? It hooked the animals together so they could work as one under the direction of the person behind the plow, okay? And the idea is that we come under the yoke of Jesus. Jesus is our master. He tells us where to go, and the problem is... Most people don't want God telling them where to go, so they don't come. See, 
to come to Jesus, you've got to take up the yoke. See, and even as Christians, we can get trapped into this belief that salvation and discipleship are two different things. No, they go hand in hand. Okay, It's so easy to view salvation as either way back in the past, I prayed a prayer and took care of that, or in the future. I'm not living for Christ right now. I don't really like my life, but someday... I get to go to heaven. And and we see salvation as way back there or way up there. Praise God, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you are saved. Okay, that's that big churchy word, justification. Okay, God took care of your sins the moment you invited Him into your life. Praise the Lord. You have that. Guess what? Someday we do get heaven. Praise the Lord. I can't wait. What's the best thing about today? Heaven's one day closer than it was yesterday. Okay? We have that. That's glorification. But don't miss out on life. Okay? Between salvation, justification, and glorification, we've got this thing called life. And God doesn't want us to miss it. He's got something He wants to do in our life that's called sanctification. That's the process by which God changes us into what He's called us to be. His first fruits the offering of our lives that we give back to God as our reasonable reasonable act of worship. I'm going to tell you how old I am here. Some of us used to sing, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. The problem is, many Christians never experience that victory here on earth. They walk around living defeated lives. They may have come to Jesus for salvation, but they don't come to Him for life. You need to preach the gospel to yourself every single day. God wants to save you today. Listen again to the words of Jesus. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Have you placed yourself willingly under the ultimate teacher. Learn through the word. Submit, study, learn, grow. Make a commitment today to let God call the shots in your life. Psalm 119.105 reads, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. But I can't see the light if I never open up the word. Right? And if I'm not walking in the light, I'm going to get stressed out. I'm going to get tired, I'm going to get burned out, and I'm going to fail. See, we need, we need to hear God's truth every day so we don't grow weary. So many people treat the study of God's Word like some kind of sacrament that we have to observe in order to improve our standing in heaven or to somehow earn gold stars on the big chalkboard in the sky. No, no. God's Word is life, and the study of God's Word together with prayer enables us to tap into God's power. See, that gives us the ability to do what He says, and that's the difference between Christianity and every other religion. And that's the key to the rest that Jesus is talking about. See, imagine the people of Jesus' day. They were so weighed down by the yoke of the Pharisees, they had no joy. In fact, Jesus condemned the Pharisees in Matthew 23. He said, they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. 
And it's easy to say Jesus was talking about the, the Judaism of the Pharisees, and he was. But guess what? He was also talking about every other major religion of our day. See, Buddhism provides a moral code for its followers, but Buddha can't give me the power to carry out the tenets of Buddhism. He's dead. See, Muhammad addressed some really important issues, but he can't help me keep the five pillars of Islam. He died. Jesus is alive, and Jesus gives you the power to do what he says, and that's the difference. That's the difference between Christianity. Don't let your friends tell you that all religions are the same. Christianity is different because God has promised us the power to overcome sin, to overcome that addiction, to overcome that problem that keeps coming up in our lives. See, some of the people in Jesus' Jesus' audience may have been thinking, wait a minute, I'm already crushed by the weight of the rules and regulations of the Pharisees, and now you want me to take up your yoke? What's the difference? What is the difference? Let's look again at the picture of the yoke. The animals are most often in pairs. Okay, They're controlled by the driver. If you're under God's yoke, he's the driver. He's in charge, but guess what? He's right next to you. (laughs) He's with you. If you've accepted Christ, the moment of your salvation, he gave you the Holy Spirit. Okay, the picture fails a little bit because Christ is in us. Okay, but he's next to us. He's helping you do what he says to do. If you're truly saved, you don't have to try. You don't have to try to do it on your own. You have to tap into God's power. God's right there with you. We already mentioned Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Listen to the words of Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jesus is with you in the trenches. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and his word brings life. Why? Because he's alive. Jesus is alive, and he wants to give you real victory. He wants to give you real rest. So come to him. Are you struggling with a particular sin? Come to Jesus. Do you keep trying to stop cussing and you keep messing up? Come to Jesus. Do you keep blowing up and yelling at your family and then apologize and say, oh, I'm going to try harder next time? Come to Jesus. Do you keep getting on that website you know you're not supposed to be on? Oh, I'm going to try harder next time. And then when January 1st rolls around, I'm going, to make a, I'm going to make a New Year's resolution and I'm really going to try harder. Or I'm going to come to Jesus every day. Come to Jesus. Do you have ungodly people in your inner circle of friends who are pulling you away from God? Come to Jesus. Do you keep going back to that favorite sin of yours? Lust, anger, gossip, complaining, Worrying. Are you tired of trying to stop? Come to Jesus. Repent. Obviously, part of coming is repent. I'm wrong. Okay, repenting is I'm wrong. I'm going this way. God, help me to turn around and go your way. We must agree with God that our complaining, our cussing, our worrying is a sin. We must repent. We must turn away from it. And we must turn to Jesus. Then We take God's yoke willingly and learn from him. Immerse yourself in God's word. 
replace those sinful thoughts with God's thoughts. Right after Paul explained in Romans 12.1 what God means by true, reasonable worship, he added these words in Romans 12.2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind that you, by testing, may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How does God transform my mind? Through his word. Get in the word. Faith groups are starting up in the next couple of weeks. Get in one. Join one. Learn from God's word. There's a women's Bible study on Wednesday mornings. There's a women's Bible study on Thursday nights. There's a men's Bible study on Thursday mornings. Youth. There's faith groups on Tuesdays and Thursdays. College. There's a faith group on Wednesday night. There's Thursday night women's study. There's young families of faith. There's 20-somethings. I'm sorry if I'm missing something. But we've got programs. Why? To check boxes? No. To help you tap into God's power. So you're not just trying on your own anymore. You're letting God change your life and give you rest. Why should we learn from Jesus? Look at verse 29. Jesus said, I am gentle and lonely in heart. Jesus is the perfect teacher. Think about it. Jesus is perfectly patient. He's meek. He's not harsh. Look at his 12 closest followers. Whew. <laughs> wow. What a bunch of guys that was. Look at the challenges they presented. And when I start pointing fingers at Peter and the rest of the disciples, all I have to do is look in the mirror. Aren't you glad Jesus is gentle? Aren't you glad he's lowly in heart? He chose fishermen, not scholars. He chose me. Why? I don't know. <laughs> but he did because he loves me. He chose. Now I need to follow him. Now I need to willingly come under his yoke. I need to come to him. I need to learn from him. He's going to solve our problems. He's going to give me the power. And finally, he gives us a promise. Look at verses 29 and 30. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's going to give you rest, real rest. And Jesus returns to the idea of the yoke. Okay, that's a common theme. There was an ancient Jewish proverb that said, put your neck under the yoke and let your soul receive instruction. Not only is Jesus the perfect teacher, but his yoke is easy and now this is where some of you say, time out. Tim, it's not easy. It's hard. When is it hard? When I try and do it myself. That's when it's hard. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount gave his followers some really hard stuff. He said, your righteousness has to surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And they're like, how can we do that? Come to me. See, when I do it by myself, it's impossible. I can't overcome that sin. I can't. That's why I need Jesus. And when I come to Jesus, I find out that his yoke is easy. Literally, the Greek word means it fits. Okay? God's yoke fits perfectly. It's hard when I try to do it myself. It's impossible when I try and do it myself. That's why God gave us the Holy Spirit. Listen to the words of 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. God loves you so much he gave you commandments. What? No, not to weigh you down, but to free you up. And his commandments are not burdensome. His burden is 
light. Jesus is gentle and we, he gives us rest when we're working with him. We're not working to earn salvation. We want to work for him because we're already saved. Okay, We read the Bible because we want to, not because we have to. We don't complain about doing our work. We rejoice in carrying God's yoke. Why? Because it fits. It fits perfectly. If you're willing to come underneath it. See, there's work that Christ wants you to do, but he's promised that his work is easy, his burden is light, and some translations read that his yoke is good. God has something good for you to do. It's not bad. It's not horrible. It's good. And it fits if you come underneath it. And remember who's with you. Remember who's in you. If you're saved, it's the Holy Spirit. Okay? All-powerful, all-knowing, completely gentle, completely patient. What happens when I work in my own strength? Not very powerful, really limited, mostly confused a lot of the time, not patient at all. Which way do I want? Come to God. Come to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. He is gentle. You will find rest for your souls. When I try to do it myself, that's when I get exhausted. That's when I mope around like a defeated Christian who's lost his joy, who's lost his energy. And I say, oh, this must just be for super Christians like Pastor Dave and Pastor John and Brother Joe. It's just for super. No, it's for us if we tap into God's power. The solution is I need to come to Jesus I need to learn from him. I need to get under his yoke. And that's when I find that it can be done. Not I, but Christ in me. That's the promise. That's the promise. When you do God's work in God's power, you get that real rest, that lasting peace, that shalom that the Jewish people talked about but never found. That real soul rest. It doesn't mean your life's going to be easy. Jesus said, in this world, you will have a million dollars. No. What did he say? You'll have trouble. But take heart. I already won. Isn't John 16, 33 beautiful? Take heart. I've overcome the world. This was before he went to the cross. He didn't say, I'm going to overcome the world. I have. It's done. God already won. That's why Paul could say what he said. He had a tougher life than we can possibly imagine. But God gave him peace in the midst of his pain. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Paul's life was hard, but his yoke was easy. In Christ, his burden was light. He wouldn't trade it for anything. And that's why he said to the churches in Galatia, I've been crucified with Christ I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Christian life is spiritual rest, and if you're spiritually tired, if you're drained, if you're worn out, it's probably because you're not walking with God. It's probably because you're not working with Christ. Come to Jesus. Repent. Turn away from that sin every day. Get help. 
Go to a brother or sister in Christ. Confess it as sin. Learn from Jesus. He is gentle. Stop trying to do life by yourself. Come to Jesus. You'll find rest for your soul. His burden fits and his burden is light. Let's pray. God, you are awesome. Thank you for life. Thank you for loving us so much to not give up on us. God, help us um, when we try to do it on our own. God, help us when we don't come to you. God, help us when we take that sin and harbor it instead of giving it to you. God, help us when we hide that sin from others instead of coming to brothers and sisters in Christ and saying, please pray for me. I need help. God, thank you that you give us real rest. Thank you that your yoke is easy, that your burden is light. I pray for any person in this room who may be struggling, that today they would come to you. We love you. We thank you for life. In Jesus' name, amen.